And uh, so we've been going through a series of campaign called Rhythms, and it lasted through the Lent season. Uh, it concluded with Good Friday and Easter service. Uh, this weekend, we're going to use that to kind of tie things up a bit uh, and talk about how do you implement rhythms uh, moving forward. And to be honest with you, uh, probably more than that, we're just going to go deep into the passage that was uh, read earlier. I want to say a couple of things about um, our campaign, just to kind of um, just highlight some things that have been uh, really, really great about the last 40 to 50 days. And so we know that rhythms is based on the rhythms of up, in and out, and uh, really to make that simple for you, up means this, that you live a life of hearing God, you're pursuing Him. For those of you who didn't grow up in church or as a Christian, you're taking time out to investigate uh, more the, the teachings of Jesus, reading the Bible, spend time worshiping. For those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, uh, it's praying, it's listening to Him, it's obeying. And that's the up rhythm. Um, the in rhythm is living in genuine community, uh, not just showing up at an event, uh, not just showing up uh, and making your attendance, but it's genuinely living with people that care for you, love you. Uh, you're serving, you're giving, you're caring, you're loving, you're building the body of Christ. That's the in rhythm. And the out rhythm is showing our city, showing our community that we love Jesus and that Jesus has something for the city. So that's an invitation, that's sharing your faith, that's praying for people into the kingdom, that's loving your neighbor in the name of Jesus. And so that's the out rhythm. And so what we spent the last 30 days or 40 days is not completing rhythms. We've introduced rhythms into the life of our church. Uh, and so uh, moving forward, we'll continue to, to talk about up and out. It will be with us uh, for a long time because that's the life that Jesus came to give, him, uh, give to us. I want to celebrate a couple of things just to kind of highlight um, what happened over the last 40 days. Number one is we spent 40 days doing a daily rhythm, and that was the, the booklet that a few of you wrote. Uh, it was life-transforming, uh, so many challenges in there. We spent 20 days, the, la the latter part of the campaign, uh, in prayer and fasting. A lot of us took on that challenge. Saw so much faith arise out of our community, uh, praying for a lot of people. We uh, did two uh, Easter extravaganzas, and over that, uh, over the two events, we served 200 children in a region park in Cabbage Town. Um, our Easter service last week, in case you missed it, I feel bad for you, man. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, we had uh, 176 people officially. Uh, I think we had more, but that was the theater count uh, at the Betty Oliphant. Blown away. How many of you guys were blown away? Like, I have faith, but like, I was like, you know, my faith was not like that high. God really uh, showed up. Uh, so uh, really neat. Um, this week, we're launching a downtown body life group. So that'll be our fourth uh, <laughs> um, And then uh, look, this has been the most exciting thing for me is the faith and the passion that I've seen arise from our community. And a lot of you guys really stepping up who you're praying for, who you're being intentional about. Um, super excited about that. Um, this was a really neat thing. Got an email this week from the city of Toronto uh, thanking us for doing the Easter extravaganza. And they want to partner with us next think that we're doing things and people don't take notice. And so um, and they wanna they wanna get to, they wanna do like the candy and decorations and all that stuff. So super excited about that. Um, last last week we sent a, a group of ten of you guys to do some volunteer training with the K Club. And from what I understand you guys were like half the volunteer support there. And so um, just really invested back into 
uh, the place that we're worshiping in. And then uh, I think what we're going to do, is it March 7th? They're doing a big fundraising the thing. Eight. The 8th. The 8th, right? Except there's March 7th. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's been a long week. I'll tell you about it. Uh, uh, May 8th, uh, they're doing a, uh, a fundraising banquet and Trinity Life will sponsor a table. And then we have probably 10 of you guys that will be volunteering on behalf. So uh, I just want to say thank you guys. Thank you so much. Let me give you a passage of scripture from 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Uh, it's written by Peter. Today we're going to talk about Peter. Um, it says this, Peter writes, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's what God calls us. That's what God has called us to. That's what God is forming uh, with us among these days. I, I want to challenge you. Keep your eyes wide open. You don't want to miss what God is doing. Sometimes it feels like you're setting up chairs, you're stuffing Easter eggs. God is at work. The city takes notice. Uh, Jesus is being glorified because of, of this church. And so, uh, super excited about that. Mike and I spent the last three days, sorry I'm going to spend a little portion just kind of like catching up and, and uh, sharing some things with you guys, but Mike and I spent the last three days um, in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, meeting with a mentor of mine who does stuff that we'll never do, like he, yeah, we'll never do the stuff that he's doing. <laughs> he meets with world leaders and is friend with, friends with kings and stuff like that. And uh, so we met with him three days, very exhausting, but it was very refreshing. And, uh, and he sat down with us and just says, I want to give to you guys everything that I have. Um, and uh, just very fatherly spirit. And he says, if you guys want to learn how to start more churches, I want to teach you how to do that. If you want to learn how to engage the world and not just be in trauma, but learn how to make a difference in, in some of the places that we consider hell holes, like Pakistan and Afghanistan, if you want to just serve them in the name of Jesus, I want to help you guys do that. And so it was a really refreshing time for us to just be mentored by him. Um, and uh, actually, I hope to bring him up soon so you guys can meet him. Um, and so we started dreaming again. What does it look like for us to continue to, to reach out to be a church in, in, in Toronto? What does it mean for us to begin releasing some of you guys to, to do the things that God's called you to do? What does it mean for us to plant more churches? What does it mean for you to use your vocation? Right? Ministry is not just for pastors and ministers, but it's everybody gets to play. What does it mean for you guys to use your vocation, your skills, your jobs to really make an impact uh, in the city um, in the name of Jesus? So really, really excited about some of these things in the next few months. Um, we'll get a chance to unpack some of that a little bit more. Uh, the vision of Trinity Life really is that you would discover identity and destiny in Christ to influence the city and the world. Right? You're not just going to school. You're not just having a job. But that's very integral to the peace of what God wants to do in the city, that you play a role in that. And as far as we can be a part of that, we hope to equip and release uh, the body Christ as much as possible. So here's the thing, though. You get to make a choice. Like, you get to decide how much you are in and how much you are observing. You get to decide if you're a contributor or a spectator. And so um, a part of the message today will be uh, helping to hopefully woo you uh, into becoming more of a contributor and not just a spectator. And so um, I want to give you an illustration uh, to start this off. Um, 
I'm not much of a like painting connoisseur, but when I went to uh, Vietnam, I spent some time in Vietnam, I uh, just had this interest in art and painting, and so bought a whole bunch of knockoffs. Uh, and brought it home, we bought like 15 knockoffs, and uh, uh, found out that it was more expensive to frame them than for me to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you go to my house, I used to have them all rolled up in tubes. Um, <laughs> but imagine somebody gave you a fantastic painting, it was dedicated to you, and it was your painting. And it was so, it was like huge, it was like the size of this wall, right? And a lot of you guys live in like 500 square foot um, apartments, so. Uh, so it's not very practical to kind of like try to fit it in your apartment, right? And so here's the deal, when you have something that beautiful and that great, and it's all about you, and it was made for you, and it was a gift for you, and you want to bring it into your home, but it doesn't fit right into your home, you got to figure out what to do with it. And there's two options. First option is this, you can have it awkwardly in your room, in your, in your apartment or in your house. You can get rid of it, right? Or you can tear down your house and build your house around this painting. Right? What I want to sew inside of your heads real early this morning that um, in, in your life, God has made your identity and destiny in Jesus Christ a centerpiece of what you're building in your life. And it's not an afterthought that God is trying to slide into your identity, slide into this destiny piece, that based on God's vision for your life, He wants you to build around the masterpiece. Right? He doesn't want you to, to kind of just add on to what He's doing. He wants you to discover what He's doing with you, in you, through you, and He wants you to build around that. And so I want, to, I want you to think of this concept of I have to tear down if the, the masterpiece that God has given me in my identity and destiny is not at the centerpiece of what I'm building. I need to tear down what I'm building right now. I need to get out of that 500 square foot apartment. This is prophetic for some of you guys who have do I move? Do I not move? Yes. Get out of that apartment. And begin building around God's masterpiece that He's planning uh, in you. Because right? it's not about you. And at the end of the day, it's really not about you. But it's a gift that God is making you into a masterpiece so you can influence the city and the world. So um, rhythms, the things that we've been doing the last 40 days, uh, isn't just like we're not trying to tire you out. We're not trying to, to add things onto your schedule. Man, this is a new way to live. This is the way to live, up, in, and out. Uh, everything plugs into that, right? Seek God. Seek community. Love others in the name of Jesus. This is not an add-on. This is a new way of doing life. Right? You don't add Christian community to your life. You live in Christian community. Right. So let me give you my one-point sermon for today. Uh, and that's this. That until we do that, until we can do that, Jesus will shake the foundation of your home. He will shake your confidence so that you will rebuild on an unshakable foundation. I'll give that to you again. Uh, Jesus will shake the foundation of your home. He will shake your confidence so that you would rebuild it on an unshakable foundation. And so we're going to look at two things. I had a, I went, I went two instead of three this week. So uh, I was thinking about all you ADD people. I need to help you out. Uh, so I'm going to say this in a different way. Uh, two points today. Number one is this, that you must be wounded before you can truly heal. And then secondly is this, you must be healed before you can truly live. 
You must be wounded before you can truly heal. You must be healed before you can truly live. All right, here's the first point. Um, we are looking at this passage about Peter. And uh, it's important that you understand Peter's life. For those of you guys who didn't grow up in church, um, Peter was a very close confidant to Jesus. Um, he was very confident in himself. He's actually kind of the hothead of the group. Um, he's very ambitious. He's very driven. Um, this is the guy who walks on water, right? So, I mean, pretty big deal. Um, he's very bold. Uh, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? He actually proclaims that. Um, and then two seconds later, Jesus actually rebukes him. Because, because he, he thinks he knows so much about Jesus, he actually says this to Jesus, No, we will not allow you to be uh, taken to the city of Jerusalem to be killed by your enemies. And Jesus looks at him and rebukes him and says, You think you know everything? Get behind me. Right? Um, and so this is um, also the, the man that Jesus says, And on you I will build my church. On you, Peter, you hothead. Right? Uh, I will build my church on you. Okay? And then this, this is what happens with Peter. His foundation begins to shake. Right? And that's because everything that was going to supposed to be the plan of the Messiah began to look like it was falling to the wayside. Right? So the guy who was supposed to lead the movement is arrested. Uh, and so this embarrasses the whole entire uh, uh, group of 12, uh, the 12 disciples. Peter mostly. Why? Because Peter is Jesus' second-hand man. Right? And so the movement is, looks like it's unfolding, it's going to fall through, it's not going to work. And so Peter, because his confidence was in himself, in his ability, in his passions, his, his drivenness, uh, he rested in his ability to know rightly and to do rightly. When Jesus was crucified and he was arrested, everything that Peter built on began to shake. The foundation cracked. And so uh, if you know the story, this is what happened. Um, that night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, all these people came around Peter, and he was kind of like watching Jesus from a distance. And one after another, they said, hey, weren't you with Jesus? He said, no, no, that wasn't me. And then the second time, he was over, you know, over uh, some fire and trying to warm himself up, staying close to Jesus, and he said, hey, we know this guy. He's, you're from Galilee with the Galilean who's being uh, crucified tomorrow. He said, no, 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 no that, that's not me, right? You see the foundation, the cracks. When you build on the wrong thing, the cracks will show your cracks will show when the pressure comes. And then the third one is probably the most bitter denial that you have recorded of Jesus. And Mark records it this way, chapter 14. It says this about Peter. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man, Jesus, of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, he would be down three times. And he broke down and wept. I want, to, I want you to understand this, that Peter's sin isn't so much that he denied Jesus, even though he did deny Jesus. The sin was a symptom of something greater and deeper inside of Peter. And that's this, that Peter's confidence was never truly in Jesus. That it was solely in Peter's ability to do he, 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 he walked on water. He was there by Jesus' side when Jesus was revealed and transfigured on the mountain. He was in Jesus' inner circle. And when that, that status and that prestige began to wane because it looked like the movement leader was going to die off, his confidence began to die. Right? It was Peter's pride that he was invested in, not in Jesus. Right? It was, he was invested in the pride of his life 
not in Jesus. And so when the cracks began to show, it was evident that Jesus was not Peter's agenda. It was himself. And let me help you understand a couple things about pride. Because, uh, you know, if you grew up in kind of a Catholic tradition or Anglican tradition, you know that pride is one of the, um, the uh, it's not the cardinal virtue. It's uh, a... Yeah, seven deadly sins, that's right. Yeah. So these are the root sins, right? Definitely not a cardinal virtue. Uh, I, want, I want us to think about pride as a disease. Because diseases are usually root causes for other symptoms, right? So when you have liver disease, you have all these other manifestations. When you have kidney disease, you have all these other manifestations. Well, let me help you understand, um, and I was just, I was evaluating myself. Nobody here in this community, just evaluating myself. Uh, this is what happens uh, when pride begins to emerge. Uh, we begin to shift and blame others. We minimize responsibility. We diminish and trample other people. We begin to have envy and jealousy. Racism, classism, sexism is a result of pride. We hide our sins. Uh, anger and bitterness, that's a result of uh, pride. Uh, it leads to entitlement. We use other people. And the, probably the worst one of all is this, that pride allows you to violate your own conscience. You sin against yourself when pride is present. Uh, the denial of Jesus was the symptom while the pride in Peter's heart was the disease. And if Jesus is going to heal Peter of the disease, he must make an incision. Peter must be wounded in order to be healed. And so if we look into the text, how does Jesus wound Peter? Right? It's kind of ironic that when Peter denied Jesus, he was standing over a fire. And now when Jesus is getting ready to restore um, Peter, they're actually sitting around the fire. Right? And here's Jesus' incision. It doesn't look that big at first, right? He's a very gentle surgeon. Right? It doesn't look like it's a big deal. But he makes an incision. This is how Jesus does it. He says this, Simon, which is Peter's other name, son of John, do you love me more than these? Right? So let me tell you how awkward of a conversation this is. Right? Can I have Curtis and Mike come up here real quick? All right. Just come up, stand right up. So, all right, so we're eating fish. It was fantastic, right? We're hanging out. Easter was great. I'm alive again, you know. <laughs> so, we're not out, Jesus. No, no, you're not. You're, you're Peter, actually. <laughs> I'm not saying anything about you. You're just, <laughs> no, this is John, right? So, so we're, we're hanging out. Like, this is a pretty public gathering. There's at least, you know, 11, uh, including Jesus, 12. And so we're chatting up, and, and, and so I don't know how Peter feels. The text doesn't really explain. But at this point, we're done eating. Breakfast is over. And Jesus leans over to, to Peter and says, Hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I'm about being put on the spot, right? right? It wasn't this, like, side conversation that Jesus is having. And he really, Jesus is not against awkward conversations. Just let me know. <laughs> He, sometimes he likes to heighten the tension in the room. Right? And so by doing this, in some ways, Jesus sees the disease of pride, and he's going right to it. Because this is what he's saying to, to, to Peter. Do you love me to the point where you're no longer competing with these guys? Right? Where you're not looking to be number one, number two, my left, my right hand man. Do you love me beyond your reputation? Do you love me beyond, uh, you know, what you can gain from this relationship? 
do you love me that much that you can, that, that you're okay, you're okay, right? And later on you see that Peter says, what about John? What about that guy, right? So he still has this inside of him. Jesus is making an incision and saying, let me, let me tell you the heart of the matter, all right? All right, thanks. You're not Peter, just by the way. There's more of a mark on you. And so, how do you think Peter feels? I'll tell you how Peter feels. Because after being asked that three times, it says this in verse 17. Peter was grieved. The NIV is much more touchy-feeling. It says, <laughs> Peter was hurt. If you research the original words, it means deeply filled with pain, remorse. Jesus hurt Peter's feelings. Because Peter, for the first time in his life, realized, ah, I see the motivation in my heart. And it's not you, Jesus. It's me. I'm on my throne. And it began to disgust them. Have you, have you ever had a moment where you realized that, man, I am so about myself? And it used to be okay, but in the moment, you had a moment of clarity, you're like, wow. And I'm disgusted by it. And this was Jesus' moment. And his heart was filled with pain and sorrow because he realized that the, the betrayal of Jesus, um, by, by betraying Jesus, he let his pride get ahead of himself. So here's a point that I want to make today. Um, the healing that you need in your life today just doesn't come from love and affirmation. Right? Ah, you're a great guy. Yeah, I love you, man. You're, you're you know, girl. Whatever girls say to girls. That's <laughs> <laughs> not you, it's him. <laughs> Sometimes it's you. <laughs> um, the healing that God wants to give to you, even today, sometimes isn't to start with love and affirmation. It starts by exposing sin. It starts with an incision. Uh, it, it starts with a wound. That's what, uh, that's what Jesus does to Peter. He wounds him. Uh, your pride, no matter how small it is in your eyes, is dethroning God in your life and enthroning yourself as king. You are king. God is not. You can do all the right things on the outside, but waging a spiritual coup inside. All right. uh, like in, in all war, there's bloodshed. And in the spiritual war that we wage in our hearts, there is bloodshed. As we sung this song, Man of Sorrows, I was, I've not wept in, in a long time when I was singing. I'm just, just concentrating on those words and realizing oh, there's bloodshed in this war. It, it, the, the spiritual warfare that we're waging inside of our lives, inside of this world, is not, there, there, there aren't, there are casualties. And God was a casualty of the spiritual war. That he would give himself so that we would be humbled to realize that the king himself would die. Would die for his, for his citizens. That the way to come into the kingdom that the king is building is to humble yourself. Allow the king to serve you in his death. And be won by his chivalry. Be won by his courage. And to realize that your spiritual crew that you're waging against him is put down. Because he let himself be put down. So that, that's the story of Jesus on the cross. That Jesus, uh, uh, the song was amazing because it talked about how 
our sins and God's wrath met Jesus at the cross. And that, that did away with any animosity that God had with us. That He's not going to usurp your heart. And that's the thing. He'll make the incision, but He's not going to usurp your authority. God is not that authoritarian that He would force you to bow to Him. But in His sacrifice on the cross, in Jesus Christ, He's saying this, this is how far it will go for you. Living the up and in life that we're talking about here, um, I want to phrase that as the upgrading table. If you live a life of up and in, a life of seeking God, a life of in community, right? You can seek God on your own and not be in community. But let me tell you this, that when you do that, you choose to. You're, you're, you're not on the operating table. Let me tell you how important the operating table is this. When you live your life on the operating table, Jesus, you can, you can wound me anytime you want. That's a scary place to live. But that's, that's what the up and in life does. Right? So when, when you're living in community, and you're honest before God, and you're honest before a Christian community, you're saying, I'm on the operation table all the time. Whenever you want to operate. I cringe at the thought that you would, you would operate on me. But that's how I'm going to live my life. And God is inviting us as a church to live on the operating table. Right? Not to be in the waiting room and uh, to make ourselves available and to choose whether or not we're going to get the... My, kid, my kids went to the dentist this week and I felt so bad for them. Uh, because uh, they discovered flossing for the first time in their life. <laughs> <laughs> they can choose whether or not they're going to be flossing themselves, you know, at home. If they're in the, de the dentist's office on the operating chair, which is what it feels like, because of the contractions, they have no choice. The doctor gets to do whatever he wants to do. It's a hard life to be a Christian community. For those of you guys who, um, who are still seeking Jesus and you, you, don't, um, you don't quite know where you land yet, uh, I, I don't want to fool you in saying that, you know, everything about the Christian life is fun and exciting. Um, when, when we have to expose our sins and expose ourselves, that can leave us very vulnerable. But there's a reason why. It's because in the wounding, Jesus wants to deliver healing. As a passage from Hosea 6, Mike shared this with me um, this week. It's a fantastic uh, passage. This is about 400 years before Jesus was even on the scene. Um, and Hosea the prophet writes this in chapter 6. He says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. And after two days He will revive us, and on the third day He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Isn't that prophetic about Jesus? This is His promise for us. Jesus doesn't expose us to make us look stupid. He exposes us to release us to live out our destiny. I'll tell you a story about this mentor that we spent some time with this week. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with him. We're not going to put this on the web because he made it. But uh, he's a hard-driving man. I love him. That's why I love him. I'm very hard-driving. Super gifted. Super connected. Uh, again, sits at tables with kings and and uh, world leaders. And uh, so uh, he, he hired me on staff. Um, and uh, probably my second week on the job. Uh, I forgot that there was a Monday morning meeting. Um, and so um, so I kind of just strolled into the office at 9.10. And I realized, oh, we got a 9 o'clock meeting. 
Okay, I'm gonna head down to the uh, conference room and attend that meeting. And as soon as I walked into that room, he gave me the dirtiest look, right? There's, we have, our staff was about 15 people at the time. So he gave me this dirty look, and so we went through the staff meeting, everything was fine. And I'm getting ready to stroll out, and he says, Dan, I wanna to talk to you. And so everybody leaves the room. And he said this to me, he says, don't you ever be late. He says, I don't know what your culture teaches you, but if you're gonna stay here, you will not be late. If you wanna travel the world with me, you will not be late. Understood? <laughs> I was never late from that point to work. And, uh, but to be honest with you, it hurt my feelings. Somewhat of a softy. And so I'm thinking, oh man, I messed up. You know, I mean, this guy's gonna fire me for being 10 minutes late. So I'm, all these scenarios are being drawn up in my head. And so I'm tiptoeing around him, you know, the next few weeks just because I don't want to get yelled at again. I'm just like, oh wow, I'm not cut out for this. And so, um, <clears throat> I began to realize this, um, that the, the kinds of people that he hangs out with, like, he doesn't need a scrub following him around. Right? Like, he needs somebody who's disciplined, self-master. If, if, if someone is going to travel with them, uh, they could get him killed if they're, if, they're, if they're undisciplined people. And I didn't realize this, and later he told me this. He said that he sees something in me that is unnurtured and uncultivated. And what I realized is, in wounding me, he was releasing me, training me for the potential that he saw inside of me. He was removing from me a hindrance, something that could block me in the future. Something as simple as being late. Right? And so, uh, this moves us on to our second point. Is that the reason why we're wounded and we're, we're healed is because God truly wants us to live the life that he has planned for us. Right? Um, second point, Jesus says, or we must be healed before we can truly live. Uh, Jesus, uh, in this passage, is restoring Peter. And after each time Peter says, Lord, I do love you, what does Jesus come back and say? He says, feed my land. Uh, take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Uh, and for those of you guys who aren't pastor types, that's not very exciting, right? For those of us who are pastors, you're like, oh, that's great. I get to take care of people and all that stuff. And to be honest with you, like, I'm not super excited about taking care of people all the time, right? Because I know some of you guys are really screwed up and messed up. <laughs> uh, so it doesn't excite me as much as in my other pastoral type people. Uh, uh, and so for those of you guys who are business, like, you know, bottom line people, like, this is not exciting at all, right? Taking care of people, oh, that's Peter's gig. I'm glad that's not me, right? Uh, Jesus was saying so much more than just, here's a bunch of needy people, take care of them. Jesus was talking to Peter and explaining to him his destiny as a disciple. Right. Uh, let me explain that. In the course of the next 20 years, Peter was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Peter founded churches. Peter became the door, the gateway to the non-Jews to hear the message of Jesus in Cornelius. Peter became the person who was the, one of the lead apostles over the global movement of Jesus Christ in the first 20 years of the church. Right. To the point where King Nero knew that because he was a leader in the church, King Nero, or Emperor Nero, had to, had, to, had to execute him. And so Peter was taken out. Uh, instead of dying a dignified death, he was hung upside down on a cross. That's how he was executed. 
And when Jesus was saying to Peter that day, take care of my sheep, he wasn't just giving him a task. He wasn't just giving him a responsibility. He was releasing Peter to his destiny. I want to say this. When God speaks to you about plain and mundane things, it's always about your destiny. It's never just about the task. It's never just about the task. But your inability to be present and faithful in the task will often hinder you to take the next step in what God has planned for you. Uh, we see this from time and time around here at Trinity Life, that the distance between where you are today and the place that God wants to take you is not a matter of distance, mileage, or sorry, uh, kilometers. Uh, it's a matter of, the distance between here and there is a matter of hearing, trusting, and obeying. That's the only pathway to your destiny. When, when Jesus is saying to Peter, take care of my sheep, he was pointing him in the direction of his destiny. So here's a challenge. What is God planning for you? What are you missing out on today because of your pride? Uh, you, you may not be the number one guy. You may not be the number two guy. Uh, you may be the number 18 guy. But if that's where God is positioning you to point you towards your destiny, the best thing that you can do is humble yourself, trust Him, and obey. Right. Um, I want to talk about uh, how Jesus kind of like flips us upside down because you're thinking, no, Jesus talked about Peter's death, not about his life. Uh, and so actually it says here in verse 19, uh, truly, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And so what uh, Jesus is saying to Peter is this. Uh, your life no longer belongs to you. Uh, you will be directed by other things, uh, not by yourself. When you were younger, when you were immature, that's the way that you lived. Uh, now that you are getting older, becoming more mature in the faith, that's not how you're going to live. And we're in a room filled with, you know, uh, primarily young people. And you should understand this. You, know, you wake up in the morning, you choose your cereal, and you think you're in control of your life, right? Um, you're sadly mistaken. My kids control me. Um, if you belong to Jesus, when you get to maturity, there's going to come a point when you put your arms out, and He will dress you, and He will take you to places, to even places where you don't want to go. And Jesus is being prophetic about Peter's death here, it says. But listen to this. It's not just any old kind of death. Uh, it says this, God says that this is, uh, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to die to glorify God. That in the obedience of trusting God with your life, it doesn't matter how it's going to turn out. You can get crucified upside down. Your deal that you're working on could be botched. Okay? Your career could be botched, your whatever it is that you're, you're pursuing. But if you know that's the path that God has called you on, and you know you're following Him, and you're not acting like an immature person who wants to do whatever they want to do, but you're truly invested in what God is trying to do in you and through you, it doesn't matter whether it fails or not. Because even in Peter's death, it glorified God. Even in your failure, 
at the end of the day, you don't get the degree. At the end of the day, the job doesn't work out. Still brings glory to God. Um, I need permission to wound you a little bit this morning. Um, I want to make a small pastoral incision into, into our lives. Uh, because maturity is not about how we live. Maturity is about our legacy. What are we multiplying unto other people? Okay. Uh, I'll tell you this, that our church is in for a, uh, a, a dead end if, if, if the leaders of this church were all about ourselves. Right? If we were prima donnas, divas, which might can be sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> he pops his collar, I don't know. <laughs> but if that's the position of our hearts and we multiply it onto you, we're not trying to plant a, a church that's a jerk, right? So, I mean, so let me make a small incision onto our community. And this is the maturity. This is the maturity that because Jesus made that incision in Peter, Peter was able to write this in, in, uh, in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 4. Look how mature he becomes. Before that time, he was all about himself. How can he promote himself? How can he be Jesus' right-hand man? After Jesus wounds him, this is what Peter writes. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him, not to Peter, not to you, not to me, but to Him, Jesus, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I want to make a, a gentle incision uh, this morning, because I think through that, God wants to bring more healing and more growth to our church. Um, some of us, uh, by now, should be leading relationships, and not just consuming relationships. Um, you don't need a title. You don't need permission to love and to build relationships with people and to bring them up into faith. Nobody. Uh, some of us will, will need to be taught how to do that. Many of us, many of us, we should be leading relationships by now. And uh, I, I love our church. And I love it when you come up to Mike and I and say, what can I do? Love those questions. Um, some of us, not, not everyone, but some of us, you, you're at a point right now where you should be able to say, hey, this is what I did this week. This is how this conversation went out. And uh, when we hear those things, oh, we're like, Jesus, wow, you're building the church, right? Uh, there is a responsibility on, on church leaders to, to develop and to equip, and absolutely that's what, what we want to do. But some of us, you're, you're, you're at a point where Jesus is dressing you. And he's taking you to places where you want to go or where you don't want to go. Uh, you have almost an obligation uh, to the church, not just Trinity Life, to the church at large uh, in Toronto uh, to be a giver of relationships. And so I want to challenge us in that. Um, oftentimes, uh, when we think as a youth, and the Bible talks about this, that youth tend to be about themselves. I've got a teenager who's not sitting in the back of the room. Uh, <laughs> is a lovely teenager. You ever met that guy? <laughs> um, 
and uh, youth can be self-absorbed. Um, some of us, we need healing, and it's totally okay if you're not giving out the time. Uh, but I want to say this, for those of us, and you may feel like you're unprepared, you're always unprepared. Loving people. Are you ever really prepared to love people? But I want to say this, that, you know, uh, the youth mentality is this, what can I give for myself? The mature mentality is this, how do I benefit other people? And so, um, in some ways, we're doing it fantastic. Uh, we love um, what the progression of relationships here. Uh, but I want to give a bit of a nudge for those of us Peter types uh, to, to take the next step in that. Um, there's a fantastic organization right around the corner called Me to We. You guys heard of that organization? Yeah. Really smart dudes that started that. Um, I love that concept. How do we move from me to we? How do we do that? Jesus will create a city uh, to heal us so that we can be available, feed the sheep, take care of his flock. Right? Um, last passage and we're done. This is right before the breakfast, or this is right after the breakfast, right before Jesus wounds Peter to heal him. In John 21, verse 11 through 12, uh, I love this line. Uh, my number last week was 153. When it was 176, I was shocked. Uh, but I was reading this passage a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I just felt like, God, I'm praying for 150 people to come to our Easter service. It says this, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad, started went aboard, and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. When we build the net, when we go from a me to we mentality, it doesn't matter what God sends our way. It will never stretch us too thin. Our church will never be stretched too thin if we go from a me to we mentality. It doesn't matter how fast we grow. If we, you know, it doesn't matter the size of our church. If we go from a me to we mentality, and we're all, our relationships are the knots and the net, it doesn't matter what God sends our way, our net will not be torn. And so uh, I want to give you guys five practical things I'm praying for them. Uh, number one is this. Um, I want to challenge you to expand the number of people you associate with, lunch, dinners, body life group. Uh, I want to challenge you to do that. Uh, and that's both people inside Trinity Life Church and outside Trinity Life Church. Number two is this. I want you to help Linda and Bruce. Help Linda and Bruce connections, set up. Uh, help them to figure things out, to make things um, work, and to, to continue to help. Uh, uh, make this a, a worshipful environment. Number three is this. Um, I'd love for you guys to, uh, some of you guys to apprentice as a body line group leader. Uh, what does it look like to come alongside and learn how to lead a body line group? Uh, number four is praying for people by name. I love that we did that over the last 20 days. So much power and faith that came from that. Uh, and then uh, number five is be an initiator and welcome, um, um, welcome new people to our community. So, sorry if you're new here today. It's kind of an in-house conversation towards the end. Hopefully that didn't scare you. Um, but uh, uh, this is how we build the net. This is, we're building the net. And God's going to see it. And He does see it. Um, so, I'm going to ask uh, Val and Adam to come back up here as we go into communion. Um, if ministry is about leaders and gifts and titles, only a few people get to play but if it's about love, relationships, and truth, everybody gets to play. 
And uh, that's the ministry that God's given us here at Trinity Life Church. I want to invite you to uh, pray with me. God, uh, this morning as we uh, reflect on the love that you've shown us. God, I thank you that you are building a community among us in a way that, Lord, the net will not break. And, Lord, I thank you that at times you do wound us, but not to make us feel embarrassed or ashamed. You wound us because, Lord, you want to get us beyond our sin so that we can be about the destiny that you have planned for us. So, Lord, I thank you for our body here. I thank you for those that you have called to be a part of Trinity Life. And for the many that still exist outside of our fold. And those that, Lord, we touch and love that will never be a part of this church. I thank you for those relationships. God, give us courage. Help us to hear from you. Help us to grapple with your voice. And Lord, when you speak clearly, help us to trust you now to move forward in obedience. Jesus, thank you that this is the way that you lived. That you did not avoid the wounds. Had you done that, none of us would be here. Help us embrace the discipline and the wounding. Just as it says in Isaiah 53, by your stripes we are healed. By our wounds, many more will come to know you. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for being a gentle physician. You know exactly where to go. Do that work with us, even right now.